Well, this evening, with the Lord's help, if we could turn to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation. And chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. And we're going to consider the letter to the church in Ephesus. That's chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Revelation chapter 2, from the beginning, where Jesus says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. And found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. And you have not grown weary. But I have this against you. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works that you did at first. If not I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, one of the things that we're bombarded with in the 21st century is the need for healthy living. And as you know, the NHS, they have many campaigns about various health problems in our nation. Obesity, heart disease, smoking, alcohol, diabetes, stroke, dementia, cancer. All these things are highlighted to us and they are emphasized to us so that we will make sure that we're all living healthy lives. In fact, the NHS, I, didn't know if you, I don't know if you know this, they offer a free health check uh, to anyone who wants it, which is only a good thing, because we all want to be healthy. We all want to prevent illness if we can. We all want to live long enough to see our children grow up. And I'm sure that it's good to have a health check. But what about a spiritual health check? Would it not be good to have a spiritual health check to see where we are as a church, to see where we are as individuals within a congregation? Would it not be a good thing to have a spiritual health check, to know what we're doing right and to know what areas we need to correct and improve upon? And you know, that's what the letters to the seven churches are. They are the results, you could say, of a spiritual health check. Jesus, who is the great physician of souls, he is here giving to the seven churches in Asia, he's giving to them the results of their spiritual health check. And as we shall see in the coming weeks, some of the things that Dr. Jesus has discovered is that there are things that need to be rectified immediately. And if they're not rectified immediately, they could have detrimental effects upon the spiritual well-being of the church. 
Now, the reason Jesus is giving the results of a spiritual health check is because he has a care and he has a concern for the spiritual well-being of his church. We were told last week when we considered chapter 1 that Jesus loves the church. Jesus washed the church. Jesus freed the church from their sins by his own blood. And now as the risen and exalted and glorified Savior, Jesus is the king and head of his church. And he wants his church to be faithful and obedient in a world that is hostile to the gospel. And you know, that was the the reason the book of Revelation was written. Because the book of Revelation, it's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about this risen and exalted and reigning Savior. And he is being revealed to us by God the Father In order to call the church to live faithful and obedient lives in the face of opposition and even persecution. And so Jesus, he commands his servant John, the Apostle John, to write to these churches. And he wants them to know the results of their spiritual health check. But he wants to not only give them the results, he also wants to prescribe a remedy To encourage the church to be faithful and obedient to Jesus Christ. You know, as we mentioned last week, the reason there are seven churches is symbolic. Because the seven, the number seven, it represents the whole church of Christ. And so the letters to the seven churches, they apply to the whole church of Christ. They apply to us. They are an important message to us here in Barvis. And they have been sent by Jesus Christ. And you know what we have to remember. Is that Barvis Free Church or Bar Free Church. Whatever you want to call it. It belongs to Jesus Christ. And Dr. Jesus. This great physician of souls. He has a care and a concern for the spiritual well-being. Of our congregation. And so we have to take heed to the results of these spiritual health checks. So that we will be able to apply the prescribed remedies to our own congregation. And that we will seek to be faithful and obedient in the church of Jesus Christ. And so the first letter Jesus commanded John to write was to the church in Ephesus. And the church in Ephesus it could be described as the loveless church. The loveless church. But what does the letter to the church in Ephesus contain? Well, it contains a word of commendation. A word of condemnation. And a word of consolation. That's what Jesus has to say to the church in Ephesus. He has a word of commendation, a word of condemnation. And a word of consolation. So we look first of all at Jesus' word of commendation. A word of commendation. Look at verse 1. Jesus says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles, and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently, And bearing up for my name's sake. And you have not grown weary. 
And you know, the first thing we ought to notice about the letter is who the letter is sent to. We're told in verse 1 that the recipient of this letter is the angel of the church in Ephesus. And that's how the letter to the churches begins. It begins with the recipient of the letter. That's the way they all begin, all these letters. It says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, or Smyrna, or Pergamum, or Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. To the angel of the church. Now, there have been many suggestions as to who or what the angel of the church is. Some have suggested it's this guardian angel uh, sent from heaven to protect the church. Others have said that it refers to the spirit of the church, what the people are like. Some have said that it refers to the elders of the church, which is more probable. But I believe that the angel of the church was the pastor of the church. And I say that simply because the word angel can also be translated as messenger. And that's what the pastor of that church is. He is God's messenger to God's people. The pastor's responsibility, the minister's responsibility is to bring the word of God to the people of God. And the spiritual health of a church is the responsibility of the pastor. Yes, the elders, they have a vital role in the spiritual oversight of a congregation. But it's the duty of the pastor. It's the duty of the minister to lead his people and shepherd his people. Ensuring that his people are fed and taught and challenged by the word of God correctly. And you know, that's why Paul urged young Timothy. Timothy, he was actually the pastor in Ephesus. 30 years before this letter was written, or even sent. Paul, 30 years before this, he urged young Timothy to be a faithful messenger of God to the people in Ephesus. And he said to Timothy, Timothy, I charge you before God and before the Lord Jesus Christ, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. Timothy says, preach the word. And that was Timothy's duty as the pastor in Ephesus. That was his role as the messenger of God. It wasn't to be a social worker. It wasn't to be an addiction counselor. It wasn't to be a celebrity preacher. His duty and his calling was to preach the word of God to his people And to shepherd his people, ensuring that his people were being fed and taught and challenged by the word of God correctly. That was his role. That's my role. To present to you the word of God correctly. And so I believe that the angel of the church was the pastor or the minister in the the church. And Jesus here, he gives to the pastor of the church in Ephesus... This word of commendation. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Now, Ephesus, it was a wealthy seaport city. It was... Situated, it talks about Asia, but it was actually, well, the southwest coast of modern-day Turkey. That's where we are just now. 
That's where Ephesus is, the southwest coast of modern-day Turkey. Now, as a wealthy city situated along this uh, key trade route in the Aegean Sea, it was an influential city in the Roman Empire. But sadly, what Ephesus was renowned for was two things, idolatry and immorality. That's what Ephesus was renowned for. Ephesus was famous for its temple to the goddess Artemis, sometimes known as the the goddess Diana. And there was this Greek temple in Ephesus, and and it was dedicated to this goddess, this Artemis. And it was this, the temple was so grand in its structure that it it had become known as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And of course, with such a prestigious temple, with such a well-known goddess, it was a money-making opportunity. And the city of Ephesus, they certainly took advantage of it. They made a fortune by manufacturing replicas of this goddess that they had sitting in their temple. And they sent these replicas all over the world, making more and more money. And you know, we didn't read it, but that's what it was talking about in Acts chapter 19. If you want to read that when you go home. Everyone in the, in the city, it says in Acts 19, they were making their livelihood from the idolatry in Ephesus. But in the ancient world, what commonly came alongside idolatry was immorality. And the immorality of Ephesus, it came in the form of temple prostitutes, in which the temple priests, they owned temple prostitutes. And the prostitutes, they worked for the temple, and their acts of prostitution, it made more money for the temple and all its administrators. And in many ways, the temple prostitutes, they were just slaves owned by the temple. And so Ephesus, it was nothing more than sin city. It was a place of idolatry and immorality. It was a dark place. And yet the Lord led Paul to plant a church in Ephesus. The Lord led Paul to plant or to place a candlestick in this dark city and minister to the people there. In fact, as we were reading in Acts chapter 20, Paul remained in Ephesus and taught and encouraged and he said himself, He preached the whole counsel of God to the Ephesian Christians for three years. And as you would expect, Paul challenged the idolatry in Ephesus. He challenged them. He persuaded many of the Ephesians to turn away from worshipping Artemis. Saying to them that gods gods made with hands are not gods at all. And you know, when Paul preached, there was an uproar. Paul even, he had to leave Ephesus at one point because Paul's preaching was affecting those who were trying to make a profit by all of these, the sale of idols. And the people said about Paul, there is a danger not only that this trade of ours will come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing and that she may even be deposed of her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. You know, my friend, when Paul preached the gospel in Ephesus, it had a massive impact upon the city. Because many people, they turned away from their idols. And they turned to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And of course, there was always a danger of the Ephesians returning to their idolatry. But you know, it seems that because Paul preached the whole counsel of God, they were well taught. And they remained committed to following Jesus Christ. But you know, when Paul wrote his letter to the Ephesians, it wasn't, he didn't write that letter. It's a wonderful letter. He didn't write it to tackle any particular heresy like he does with some of the other letters he sent. He wasn't trying to tackle a heresy or some error in the church. It was just a letter of encouragement. An encouragement for the Ephesians to stand firm in their faith and to remain faithful to the teaching that they had heard from Paul. The teaching, the whole counsel that he proclaimed, that they're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And this is what, and this is what Jesus commends here about the church in Ephesus. He commends them for standing firm, that they didn't fall into the temptations of idolatry and immorality. Even though, he, as Jesus says here, even though they were tried and tested and tempted, the Ephesians patiently endured and didn't grow weary. And it's a great commendation from Jesus to have stood firm in their faith without wavering and without turning to idols. Look again what Jesus says. He says, I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found themselves to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. And you know, I love that phrase at the beginning of verse 2, where Jesus says, I know your works. I know your works. The church in Ephesus, we must remember, it belonged to Jesus. He had redeemed this church by his own blood. And because it was his church, he knew everything about it. He knew what the church in Ephesus was faced with. He knew what they were being confronted with day by day and even what they had to deal with. Jesus knew its strengths and he also knew its weaknesses. And you know, it should be a great encouragement to us tonight that whatever we may be facing as a congregation or as a presbytery or as a denomination or as a nationwide church, whatever we are facing, the king and head of his church, Jesus Christ, he knows everything about it. Nothing is hidden from him. And he has a care and a concern for his church that we will stand firm that we will remain faithful and true witnesses for his cause. I know your works. Jesus knew everything about the church in Ephesus. He knows everything about the church in Barnabas. He knows everything that's going on. He knows what's going on in my heart. He knows what's going on in your heart. He knew everything about the church in Ephesus. He knew their strengths. But he also knew their weaknesses. Which is why Jesus not only gives the church in Ephesus a word of commendation. He also gives a word of condemnation. So secondly, a word of condemnation. A word of condemnation. Look at verse 4. <clears throat> Jesus says, but I have this against you. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. 
Remember therefore where you have fallen. Repent and do the works that you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So when the Lord led Paul to plant the church in Ephesus around 52 AD, which was over 40 years before this letter was written. This letter was written around 95 AD. So Paul planted the church in Ephesus 40 years before this letter was written. And even though Paul had to leave Ephesus because of the opposition he faced with because of the gospel, there were many people who responded favorably to the gospel. And at that time, there were many people in Ephesus who were converted. They turned away from their idolatry. They turned away from their immorality. And they turned to Jesus Christ for their salvation. And in many ways, you could say that there was a revival in Ephesus. There were people being converted. They were, they were being taught the scriptures. They were growing in grace. They were growing in the knowledge of their Savior, Jesus Christ. You could say that back then when Paul planted the church in Ephesus, everything was on the up. Everything was positive. Ephesus was a thriving city church. It was being educated in the doctrines of grace. They were becoming knowledgeable in the truths of the Bible. They were becoming active in the pursuit of faithfulness and obedience and holiness. You could say that Ephesus back then was a model church for the early church. But now, over 40 years later, things had changed. Ephesus was no longer the model church it once was. So we have to ask the question, well, what, what changed? What had changed in Ephesus? Well, when Dr. Jesus performed his spiritual health check on the church in Ephesus, his diagnosis was that they had lost their first love. They had abandoned and let go of their first love. They had stopped loving God and living for God the way they used to. And they were now living according to their doctrine and their traditions. And making these things their priority. And it was an easy mistake to make. But an awful trap to fall into. And you know what I believe happened in Ephesus was that Ephesus became such a model church, not only in its witness and in its worship and in its work, but you could say that Ephesus was the theological center of the New Testament church. And they prided themselves in their doctrine. They prided themselves in their traditions. They prided themselves in their knowledge of the Bible. And the people in Ephesus, they were under the ministries of some of the greatest minds in the New Testament. They had the Apostle Paul. He planted the church. He ministered to them for three years. He preached the whole counsel of God. Then after Paul, they had Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos and Silas. After that, they had young Timothy. And as we mentioned, Timothy, he was encouraged by Paul to keep preaching the sound doctrine that he had preached. He was to keep preaching in season and out of season. And then after young Timothy, they had the Apostle John ministering to them there. And you know, it's safe to say that the church in Ephesus, it had a great heritage of men 
Men who, were fe- who feared God and preached the gospel and stood up for the truth and taught the doctrines of faith. And the people in Ephesus, they loved the gospel. They loved doctrine. They loved the traditions of the church. But what became a stumbling block to them was that they had lost sight of their first love, Jesus Christ. Because when these great preachers in Ephesus, when they had gone, when Paul had finally been executed, Silas and Timothy, they had moved on, when John was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, when these men were no longer there to challenge the Ephesians to to live out their Christianity in faith and obedience to Jesus Christ, the Ephesian church, they lost sight of their first love. They lost sight of Jesus. And what replaced Jesus was their doctrine and their traditions and their theology. That's what became a priority to them. They didn't put into practice what they were hearing, what they had learned. They became lazy in living out their faith. Now, don't get me wrong, we need to be educated in the doctrines of grace. We need to have knowledge of the Bible. We need to know our theology. But if all that information, if it doesn't become application, then it's of little benefit to us. And it's of little benefit to those around us. If we're not living out what we hear from the pulpit and what we read in our Bible, then we are not going to live a faithful and obedient life for Jesus Christ. And you know what I believe happened in Ephesus. And maybe what we're in danger of happening here too in Barbus. Is that the Ephesians they were so well taught theologically. They had generations of solid preaching. Good theological education. And yet they placed it all above knowing Christ. Personally and intimately. They had traditions. They had Religious customs and practices that may have seemed good and beneficial. But these things became the priority. They became the focus. They became the first thing you had to do. The first thing you had to adhere to. They became the defining features of Christianity. Instead of loving Jesus. And loving other people. And sadly the church in Ephesus It became so obsessed with doctrine and traditions that they lacked love for one another. And they ultimately lost their first love. Their Christianity had become superficial. Where they looked the part. They wore all the religious garb. They said the right things. They carried out their religious customs. They did their religious practices. They held all the traditions. And as long as all these superficial acts were performed, everything was fine. But Jesus says, I have this against you. You have abandoned your first love. And Jesus, the one they were meant to love, is telling them this. I have this against you. You have abandoned me. Your first love. And as a remedy to their diagnosis. Jesus says. At the beginning of verse 5. Remember. Remember. 
And as we saw this morning in the book of Ecclesiastes, when the Bible uses the word remember, it's not asking us to use our memory. Because the word remember, it's a call to immediate action. And that's what Jesus wants from the church in Ephesus. He wants them to act immediately. He wants them to rectify the problem by repenting. He says in verse 5, Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So Jesus reveals the disease that has crept into the church and he calls the church to act upon their knowledge and repent. He calls the church to turn from the error of their ways and return to their first love. And that's what the word repent means. It means to change your mind, to turn around, to turn back. And that's what Jesus wants. He wants the church in Ephesus to turn back, to turn around, to return to their first love. Jesus wants the church to return to loving him and putting him first. Because when we love Jesus, and when we put Jesus first, the outworking of that love is that we will love others. And you know, we mentioned this on Wednesday night in the prayer meeting, when we were looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians. Paul's prayer for the Philippians was that they would abound in love more and more. That they would love one another. And Paul emphasized that when we love Jesus, we will love others. When our love for Jesus deepens, our love for our congregation will deepen. When our love for Jesus deepens, our love for our community will deepen. But the problem with the Ephesians was that even though they knew the love of Jesus, they knew it theologically, even though they knew all these things, they loved doctrine and tradition more than Jesus. And when they lost their first love, they stopped loving Christ as they ought. And they stopped loving the Christian as they ought. And they stopped loving their community as they ought. And because of this, the, the city of Ephesus this godless city that they lived in, they didn't recognize the disciples of Jesus anymore. They stopped recognizing the Christian and the church. The church stopped reaching out into its own community. My friend, listen to Jesus' words of condemnation. And we have to see that they apply to us as a congregation. Because Jesus warned the church in Ephesus. He warned them that if they failed to turn back to him and love Jesus and live out their doctrine for Jesus, he says if they didn't turn back, they would have no love for their fellow Christian and no love for the lost in their community. And when they have no love for Christ, the Christian or the community, Jesus warns, the church will die. The church will die. Jesus says, if you will not repent and turn back and love Christ, the Christian, and the lost in your community, then I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. 
The condemnation of Ephesus was solemn. Because, you know, like many of the churches in our island and even in our nation, we have known years of faithful preaching. But unless that preaching is applied in our lives and lived out with a love for Christ, a love for our fellow Christian, and a love for the lost in our community, unless the next generation is reached, then the church in our community will die and the lampstand of Christ's witness will be removed. My friend, the warning of Christ here, it's that we can't sit back and do nothing. We can't sit back and do nothing. We can't hide in our holy huddle because we have to reach out. We have to love Christ first and foremost. And the outworking of loving Jesus Christ with all our heart, mind, soul and strength, the outworking of that is loving first of all the Christian and then loving the lost in our community. We have to put Jesus first. He must be our priority above all our wants and all our desires We have to seek to live lives for his glory and the extension of his kingdom. Because if we don't, if we don't, the warning here is that he will remove the lampstand from our community. And you know, that's the last thing we want. It's the last thing you want. This church to be closed. And you know, you might be thinking, well, that won't happen here. That won't happen to us living in Barvis. We've seen revivals. We've had blessing in the past. The Lord has been good to us. The same was said of Ephesus. And look at Ephesus today. It doesn't doesn't exist. Ephesus, you can't find it on the map. The lampstand is gone. We need to love Christ. We need to love the Christian. We need to love the lost in our community. And we need to love the lost so that they'll come and know the love of this Savior. And so Jesus, he sends a letter to the church in Ephesus with the results of this spiritual health check. It's a reality check. And the letter, it contains a word of commendation A word of condemnation. And lastly and briefly. A word of consolation. A word of consolation. It says in verse 6. Jesus says. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans. Which I also hate. He who has an ear to hear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers. I will grant to eat of the tree of life. Which is in the paradise of God. And so as Jesus concludes his letter to the church in Ephesus, he gives to them a word of comfort and consolation. Because even though they had lost their first love, he says that they hadn't compromised their Christian witness. Their love for doctrine, it had actually helped them prevent living like the Nicolaitans. And Jesus says, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans. And the reason they hated the works of the Nicolaitans was because the Nicolaitans, they were heretics. They were heretics who taught that you could become a Christian, but still live like idolatrous and immoral Ephesus. In other words, the Nicolaitans taught you can love God and do as you please. But for the Ephesians, they knew that that wasn't an option. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches 
That you're to be holy, separate, distinct from the world. And even though the Ephesians had lost their first love and become obsessed with doctrine and tradition, they were still unwilling to compromise their Christian witness. And Jesus gives them a word of consolation. He reminds them to be faithful and to apply the word of God in their lives. In fact, Jesus says in verse 7, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. And you know, we've seen that phrase before. Jesus said those words after he told the parable of the sower. You'll remember in the parable of the sower that Jesus spoke about the seed. The seed being the word of God. And as the sower sows the seed, the effects that the seed has depends upon what type of soil the seed landed on. And the purpose of the parable was to show how people respond to God's word. And in the parable, Jesus says that there are some people in church and they just have a hardened heart. The seed just lands there. There are others who have a shallow heart. It goes a wee bit into the ground, but it springs up and, well, their Christianity is short-lived. Others, says Jesus, they have a strangled heart. They can't let go of the world. But others, says Jesus, they have an open heart. And it's when Jesus spoke about the response of the open heart. The open heart to God's word. Jesus cried out at the end of the parable of the sower. He who has ears to hear. Let him hear. Jesus called his listeners to respond in faithfulness and obedience to God's word. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's calling the church in Ephesus to respond to his letter in faithfulness and obedience. And you'll see in these letters that Jesus says the same thing to all the churches. He concludes each letter with this phrase... He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the reason Jesus does that is because he's calling the whole church. He's calling his church to live lives of faithfulness and obedience to God's word. He says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And so what Jesus is saying there is that if you conquer, if you overcome, if you endure to the end, if you don't make shipwreck of your faith, he says, you will eat the tree of life in the paradise of God. And the word paradise, it's translated as garden, meaning the garden of Eden. And it was Dr. Joel Beakey, who's a great preacher and publisher of our generation. He writes in his commentary on the book of Revelation. He says here about verse 7, he says, What Christ holds before his church to encourage the Christian to live faithful lives is the hope of once more walking with God in the garden in the cool of the day. Everything that we have forfeited by sin has been recovered by the blood of Christ and will be restored to us in the end. Therefore, with such great promises of reward, nothing should keep us from using all possible means to recover our first love that we may overcome by faith and obtain the promised blessing. 
And you know, that's the desire of Jesus for his church. He wants us to take heed to the results of this spiritual health check so that we will apply this prescribed remedy to our own congregation here. And that we will seek to be a faithful and obedient church to the glory and honour of Jesus Christ. That we will love, first of all, Christ and the Christian and the lost in our community. That's what Jesus is wanting us to do. To love Christ, the Christian, and the lost in our community. And so the church in Ephesus, it was the loveless church. Jesus had a word of commendation, a word of condemnation, and a word of consolation. May we heed what Jesus is saying and apply it in our lives. May the Lord bless those thoughts to us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for the blessing of being able to study thy word and to have Jesus, thy son, speak directly into our situation and into our congregation. And we pray, Lord, that we would take heed to what he has said, that we would love, first of all, our Savior and realize what he has done for us, that he has loved us and gave himself for us. Help us, Lord, to love Christ Help us to love the Christian, those, Lord, whom we walk with day by day in this wilderness journey. And help us to love those who are lost, still graceless and godless, still needing to be saved. Help us to love them. Help us to look upon them with compassion and have this great desire that they would know Jesus for themselves, that they would know the promises of eternal life, that they would know the hope the hope that is found in Christ and Christ alone. O Lord, watch over us then, we pray. Help us to apply thy word in our lives and to live it out for thy glory. Take away our iniquity. Receive us graciously for Jesus' sake. Amen. Shall bring our service to a conclusion by singing the words of Psalm 31. Psalm 31. In the Scottish Psalter, page 243. Psalm 31, singing from verse 21. All praise and thanks be to the Lord, for he hath magnified his wondrous love to me within a city fortified. For from thine eyes cut off I am. I in my haste had said, my voice yet heardst thou when to thee with cries my moan I made. O love the Lord, all ye his saints, because the Lord doth guard the faithful, and he plenteously, proud doers, doth reward. Be of good courage, and he strength, unto your heart shall send, all ye whose hope and confidence doth on the Lord depend. These verses of Psalm 31, to God's praise.
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.